It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Resetting our moral compass. Resetting our moral compass. Oh, Lord, we need to reset the moral compass tonight. And I ask that you would make it plain to our hearts that there be no question. Lord, bring deep conviction from your Holy Spirit. Deal with the inner part of our heart. I pray in your name. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is from the most important sermon that Jesus gives. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word for poor is not that favorable word of a servant who is able to work and build up his wealth. No, this word means to cringe, to cringe in terror to be filled with fear because there is no place of standing, because there is no place of security, there is no place of, of comfort. Everything is destroyed and now cringing in the front of authority lest they be beaten. That's the word being used here. Totally incapable of rescuing himself, totally incapable of covering himself. Everything is uncovered. Everything is exposed. And Jesus is saying about that man, how explosively happy they will be when they figure this out. Oh, that's the opposite of everything I've been taught. I'm sure his disciples just about swallowed their tongue. What? See, in their culture, they'd been taught that if you were prospering, And if you covered your deal, you were blessed by God. But now God sits among them and says, if you cringe and tear because you can't cover your deal, how happy you are. And he goes on, blessed are those who mourn. How happy are those now who cry because of their condition. Have you ever come to a place in your life where there's nothing left for you to do but to cry? You had exhausted every possibility. 
You were against the wall. You knew you could not save that which was most precious to you. All you could do is cry. You'd get mad if that would help. But you've done that a lot of times and it didn't help. You tried to fake it till you made it a lot of times, but that didn't help either. You figured some way you were going to come through this deal like a cat with nine lives. But this time you recognize all the lives are over. You've not landed on your feet. You landed on your back and you're about to be devoured. How happy. This is exciting. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he dives into these beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Now, I preached through this Sunday. But I was researching this material even further in John Wesley. I wanted to know what did the man of holiness have to say about these wonderful passages. I was surprised by what I found. He gives a specific breakdown now as Jesus begins to talk about each of these issues as he continues in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, in verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, so Jesus is now taking what they believed, and he is resetting the moral compass for their hearts. And he's doing it as an expansion of what we've called the Beatitudes. Now, you've already learned with me that the Beatitudes are a stair-step process. The first step is to understand that you can't do your deal. That you're utterly broken. You're cringing in terror because you can't make it. And you're going to die if somebody doesn't rescue you. And then you're weeping because of your sinful condition before God. That's the second step. If you have not wept yet over your condition, you're back at step one. Now, some of the feedback I got from a number of you after the service. Pastor, it seems like I just have to keep starting over. I haven't gotten down to the fourth and fifth beatitude yet. I've spent my whole life trying. Because everything you've been trying has been to cover your deal. And to avoid mourning. To avoid weeping over your condition. I don't know about you, but I was taught that if you keep your mouth shut, nobody will know how dumb you are. My dad used to tell me that. Ray, just don't talk and then they won't know you're dumb. They'll think you're smart. Well, I adopted that philosophy. And I said, if I don't talk about how bad I feel in my heart, if I jam the tears back down my throat, everybody will figure I've got it together. Because obviously they've all got it together. 
and actually used to believe that the world was divided down the middle. There were the ugly people and there were the beautiful people. And I was one of the ugly people. I was not accepted in cultured society. I wasn't hip. I wasn't with it. I wasn't cool. What's the current term? Every generation has it. I mean, one little guy, a fourth grader, I said, how's it going in school? He said, well, I'm not a nerd. And I'm not too cool. I try to stay right in the middle. That way, I can be friends with the, with the nerds and the stupid ones. And I can be friends with the cool people. So I said, you know you're not cool then, right? He said, no, I'm not cool at all. <laughs> now, here's a little boy who is extremely bright, who is extremely handsome, who's as cool as any kid could be. He knows how to race go-karts. He races every Saturday. He's got trophies all over. Here's a little kid who, who knows everything there's to know about monster trucks and their drivers. Here's a kid who can play any video game and beat anybody he plays. He's not cool. His parents spend thousands of dollars every year to send him to the school. But he's not cool. He's one of the ugly ones. You know what I discovered? I discovered the world is one pot. And everybody's ugly. I discovered there aren't any cool people. It was a shock to me to discover that the young man slouching down the hallway with his pants hanging around his waist, with his long shirt and with his big floppy tennis shoes untied and his hair standing on end. I mean, it would look like that kid rolled out of bed, put on his clothes and headed to school. But what you don't know is how many hours he spent in the bathroom getting that hair to just stand up and look that way, and how many hours he spent trying to adjust his pants so they don't fall off him, and how much time he spent figuring out what shirt to wear that looks like it came out of the dog. And how many hours he spent trying to figure out how he could get this nonchalant, cool look. He's not cool. He's a make-believe. He's a phony. He's an ugly person. We're all ugly people. There isn't anybody who's cool. There's just some of you who faked us out. If you're one of those who's cool and you faked yourself into thinking, you know what I'm talking about is right. And if you're one of the ugly ones and you know it, You've struggled with that all your life. 
You know, I used to believe in the ugly duckling theory. I used to believe that, okay, you're not cool now, Ray, but if you try hard enough and long enough and you buy the right clothes and you do the right things and you learn the right skills and you learn how to ask the right questions and you get the right degrees, someday you're going to blossom. And you won't be a swan, but you'll be cool. It's a lie. It was a lie. The poor in spirit who are willing to weep over their ugliness will be comforted. They will be comforted. And then it says, blessed are the meek. And the meek description that Jesus is talking about begins in chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. Jesus now expands on what it means to be meek before the Lord. You've heard that it was said, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now in that day, they had a council... And they had judgment. The council was death by strangulation. Quick and easy. Judgment was only passed by the Sanhedrin. And judgment was being stoned to death. Much more painful and much slower. Jesus is now saying, okay, the murderer faces judgment. He is stoned to death in that culture. Now he's saying, I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment, to stoning. So Jesus is now taking this public justice, and he's saying, hey, everyone, Reset your moral compass. There is no justifiable reason for you to become angry with your brother or with your sister. There is no reason. And if you become angry, you will become subject to judgment or stoning to death. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Ratka, The term rotka is a mild term of scorn. Like, come on, you're just not understanding. You're you're thick. You're not getting this. Pay attention. Heads up. If you insult someone like that, you are answerable to the Sanhedrin. In other words, if you shame someone in public by insinuating that they are of poor judgment... He can bring a case against you before the Sanhedrin so that your righteous name can be reestablished among the leaders of Israel. But anyone who says, you fool, meaning you are totally devoid of any redemptive value, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So he's saying, reset your moral compass. 
Blessed, blessed are the meek. Meek meaning gentle of heart. Blessed are the meek. To be meek means I no longer look at my brother or my sister with anger or bitterness in my heart, but instead I look upon them with compassion. So there is nothing in the world that Jan should be able to say or do to me that would arouse anger in my heart against her or cause me to speak to her in a manner that would denigrate her and cause her to be of no value in my eyes. There's no behavior that she could exhibit that would deserve that kind of response from me if I'm going to be happy. Happiness doesn't come from being angry. Happiness comes from being compassionate. Happiness doesn't come by devaluing another person and saying, you blockhead, or you dummy, or some other name. It doesn't come that way. It comes instead by compassion. Now, the word for gentle or or meek has another meaning. Always knowing when to be angry and when not to be angry. Now, you recall there were times when Jesus became angry. So how can he say we should not be angry, but Jesus became angry? There is righteous anger. Righteous anger is when we are defending another, never ourselves. Defending another's honor, defending the honor of the Lord God of heaven. That's what Jesus got angry about when he saw his father being denigrated. So he's saying, if you want to be happy, you're going to have to deal with the anger piece. And recognize that it has to be dealt with, and it has to be cut off, and it has to be removed by the blood. Let's be real honest. Anger can only be dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I give you my anger. I give you my judgments against my brothers and my sisters, against my family. Lord, I give you my my judgment, and I... I commit I'm not going to walk in this judgment any longer. So that my brother and my sister see me as compassionate and loving and happy. Therefore, verse 23, still dealing with gentleness. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Does that mean the offering here at church? No. No, it means when you're bringing your lamb of sacrifice and you have something against a brother or a brother has something against you because of how you've acted, you've harmed someone. Jesus is saying, leave the lamb before the altar. Don't sacrifice it. Go and make it right with a brother or sister before you come here and offer an offering to God for the forgiveness of sins. Essentially, what he's saying that is confirmed many more times 
is that your offering cannot be accepted, meaning you cannot be forgiven before God until you have made right with your brother or sister, your husband or your wife. When you come before the Lord God of heaven and you ask him to forgive you for your sin, he will not forgive you for your sin. If you're holding anger, bitterness in your heart against another, or if you have said something or done something to another, been disrespectful, been disobedient, been haughty and arrogant, there's no way the Lord is going to forgive you until you've gone and made that right. That's what he's saying. If you have an offering, my offering is Jesus Christ. And my offering is my body. Jesus will not accept me as a living sacrifice if I hold bitterness in my heart. Animosity. Judgment against another. He's saying, let it go, and then you'll be happy. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. In other words, he's saying, stay out of battles. Rather lose than be involved in a battle. Let it go. It doesn't matter. It has no eternal value. Then beginning with verse 27, he transitions. You have heard that it was said. Now he's dealing with the next beatitude, according to John Wesley. Blessed are the pure in heart. What we just shared was blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful. Now it's blessed are the pure in heart, beginning with verse 27. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So if he means to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye that would cause you to sin, do you suppose he means to cut off wearing clothes that leads other to sin? Or do you suppose he means cut off the internet if that leads you to sin? Do you suppose it means cut off that business deal if that's going to lead you to sin? Whatever it is that's going to lead us to sin, cut it off. Don't allow it to continue in your life. Now, some of you know what I'm speaking about. You take a step, you invest. You take another step, you invest more. Until finally you say, my investment's too big, I've got to do it now. Cut it off. Take the loss. Don't fight. Whatever causes you to sin, cut it off. Including even, he's saying radical amputation. 
Don't let your hand lead you into evil. Don't let your eyes, don't let your ears, don't let your feet lead you into evil. Don't let anything lead you into darkness. He's saying, reset your moral compass so that you no longer take any action in your thoughts, in your words, with your hands, with things around you, with the television, with, with magazines, with, with money, with friendships with people. Oh, how can I cut off a friendship with this person? They lead me to darkness, but how can I cut them off? Some of you have some people in your life you need to cut off because they're influencing you and they're leading you down a path of darkness. When you're around them, they bring out the worst in you. When you're around them, you talk differently than you talk when you're here. When you're around them, you're tempted by them. Cut them off. I know that sounds harsh, but it's not me speaking. It's Jesus. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It has been said, verse 31, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. In Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin said that if a woman burns the meal and it makes the husband mad, he has the right to divorce her. If the woman doesn't pleasure the man in the way he wants to be pleasured, he had a right to divorce her. A man could divorce a woman for any displeasure he felt with her, especially the second or third wife. Jesus came and he reset the moral compass. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. He reset the compass and he said marriage is precious and it's for life and don't play with it. Or again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths. Your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So he's saying, walk through life knowing that you are utterly poor in spirit, that you have wept over your condition. Be meek before the Lord. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be merciful and be pure in heart. Don't put on airs and say, Hey, I can say yes to this. I know I can cover this. No, only Jesus can cover it. Well, pastor, should I buy this house? Did Jesus say he'd cover the mortgage? If he said he'd cover the mortgage, buy the house. 
Should I buy this car? If Jesus said to buy the car and that he'd pay the mortgage, go ahead and buy it. You understand what I'm saying to you? Don't suppose that you can go out and say, I have a job and I have this and I have that and of course I can do this. He's saying, don't say that anymore. Don't make an assumption about your ability because remember, you are poor in spirit. You don't have the ability to repay that mortgage. Because you don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow. Every day is a gift of life from the Lord Jesus. So reset your moral compass so that day by day, as you choose what you're going to do, it is in line with the prompting of the Spirit and not with the prompting of your fleshly desire to get ahead in life. I hear people say, I'm going to do this. This is my strategy. This is what I'm going to do. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you're going to do? You have no assurance of that. Verse 38. He goes to the peace, to the peacemaker. You've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's not saying if somebody comes to murder your family, don't defend them. He's saying if somebody comes and slaps you, turn your cheek and let him slap the other side too. In other words, have no offense in your heart so that no one can say something to you that is going to cause you to hold a grudge or to become bitter or to become dissatisfied or angry in your heart. Regardless of what they say, recognize that's from their heart and you're to be compassionate with them. Not fight for your rights. Look, you have what's mine. And I want it now. And if I don't get it, I'm going to knock your block off. I mean, that's how I was raised. You hit me, I'll hit you back harder. To make sure you don't hit me again. The Lord is saying, reset your moral compass. No longer take offense at anything anybody says or what anybody does to you. Well, one person, when I was talking about this, said to me, Pastor, are you saying I'm supposed to be a doormat? Great place to start. Great place to start. You're sitting at the workplace and your boss speaks to you in a manner that you think is unbefitting your dignity. Thank you, Jesus, how happy this makes me. How happy this makes me. 
How happy it makes me. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God. Now, do you see? Jesus is saying, let's reset the moral compass so that you can be happy. If you take offense at what they've done, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be developing an ulcer. Your heart is going to be riled up. You're going to have a red flush over your face. Your blood pressure is going to go skyrocketing. You're not going to be happy. But if you say, whew, there it went. Whew, there it went. I have a shield of faith up. Just deflects and goes right on by. Can't hit me, can't stick. I'm the Teflon man. Do you understand? Reset the moral compass. So that nothing sticks when they throw mud at you, it just slides off and you're clean. Can't stick to you. You don't even have to get a paper towel and wipe it off. It's like Teflon, it just goes... The water of the spirit, it's gone. You're cool. Driving down the street, the guy ahead of me, oh, he was making me mad. Driving about 10 miles an hour, coming to church tonight in a, in a, in a 35 mile an hour zone. And you know what I did? I began to talk to him. Come on, move it. I've got to get to church. And my sweet wife is saying, I thought you were going to preach about being the peacemaker. Ray, did you know they can't hear you? But Jesus can. Oh, I have a sweet wife. I love her. See, Jesus wants to reset my moral compass so that I have compassion. I was finally able, just out on Prince William Parkway, to wheel by this car. Guess what I saw? I saw a young man teaching his grandma how to drive. And in my arrogance, I'm saying, come on, move it. And then I have to come and preach about the pure in heart, the gentle, the peacemakers. Reset our moral compass, Jesus. Was I happy while I was sitting behind that car? No. Was my blood pressure elevated? Certainly. Was I being helped with the with the unction and 
and anointing of the Holy Spirit as I dwelled in his presence. No. I was on my own. Hard-hearted. Bitter. Mad. Don't get in my way. Drive the way I expect you to drive. This is my highway. This is my house. Act like I want you to act. I mean, it goes on and on. Arrogant people are not happy people. Bitter, angry people are not happy people. All of my life I've said, when I get old, I don't want to be bitter. Because I've all my life seen old people get bitter and hard and angry. Well, it occurred to me that at some point, I probably ought to start practicing now, shouldn't I? So that when I get old, I won't be angry and bitter? I mean, at at what point do we begin to say, I'm old? Is 62 enough? When you're 80 years of age, you will only be what you are now, except more so. So if you're angry and bitter now, you will be angry and bitter when you're then. 80 years of age. But if you're sweet-spirited, and if you're happy, oh, what a blessing you're going to be when you're 80. My mother would always say to me when I was a little boy, Raymond, would you like to go visit Mrs. Walls? I'd say, yes! She was an 85 or 90-year-old woman. It seemed to me like she had skin like like paper, clear. See all the veins in her hands. I mean, this lady was old. And she had all these African violets that she watered. I used to think that African violets were just for old people. And now I have two of them. Well, why did I like to go see this wonderful old lady? Because when I would be coming toward the door, she would see me coming and swing the door open and say, is this my sweet boy coming? And I'd say, yes, Mrs. Wall. Well, I have something for you, Raymond. What do you have, Mrs. Wall? Oh, come here. Come here. And she'd take me over to the cookie jar. And she'd open it up and she'd say, you could have one. And then she'd look at mom and she'd say, can he have two? Well, yes, Raymond can have two. Can he have three? And a glass of milk? You think I didn't like her? She was the sweetest old lady I've ever known. 
full of Jesus. And as I was eating my cookies and milk, she would sit there and talk with me about Jesus. She didn't talk to mama. She talked to me about Jesus and she'd ask me questions. She'd say, Raymond, are you obeying mama? Oh, yes, my eyes would get big and I'd look at mama hoping she didn't tell the truth. (laughs) She talked to me about how happy she was in Jesus. How wonderful it was to be going to heaven. And she'd say, Raymond, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to have a bigger cookie jar than I have. Now, you think I didn't like that lady? That lady loved me. How do I know? Because she talked to me about Jesus and gave me cookies and milk. See, when I get old, I want people to come visit me who want to come visit me. Because I give all the time. And Jesus wants to come tonight and ask you, will you become a giver instead of a taker? Will you confess the anger and bitterness in your heart that would cause you to treat another with stingy fists? Well, I don't have enough to give. You don't have enough to give because you're not giving anything. Jesus gave it all on the cross. All's been given to us. If I have a million dollars over here in the bank, and I have an ATM card, and I'm homeless, what are you going to say to me? Aren't you going to say, Raymond, why don't you use your ATM card and go get the cash out and go buy a house? And I say to you, oh, no, I can't use that ATM card. I didn't earn it. Besides, I might have an emergency. Well, isn't being homeless an emergency? God has given to us all abundantly. If we need resources, he doesn't say start a new business and go for the gold. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these will be given to us. Did you know you can receive money by being given instead of earning it? Or you can do it Baal's way and break your back trying to get a little bit. Holes in your pocket and it all drains away. I'm not preaching prosperity. I'm preaching the compass that Jesus is giving to us to straighten out the bitterness of our heart and put us on a road of righteousness and happiness. You've heard that it was said, and this is the persecution beatitude in verses 9 through 12. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's what you've heard it was said. 
But I tell you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, the persecution being spoken of is the persecution in the Beatitudes, which is persecution for serving Jesus Christ. If you reset your moral compass the way Jesus is outlining it here, you will be persecuted. People will say you've lost your marbles. You're crazy. Don't you know that person wronged you and you should be angry and you should go demand your rights? No, I gave up my rights. I don't need my rights. I'm happy. You're crazy. What? You mean I can be kind to my enemy? You're crazy. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's saying you should treat the righteous and the unrighteous both with love and compassion and mercy. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We talked about the key for this entire Sermon on the Mount that's found in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And now he's saying, be perfect. It's very exciting to me that Jesus opens this sermon by saying, be happy. And then he concludes this section by saying, be righteous. (laughs) They're synonymous. A righteous person is a happy person. And a happy person is a righteous person. There is only peace to be found in Jesus Christ. There is only happiness to be found in Jesus Christ. There is no happiness in getting ahead in life because you're only moving toward death. I mean, you've heard the story of the young man. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be rich. Well, what are you going to do to be rich? I'm going to become a doctor. Oh, and after you've been a doctor, what are you going to do? Well, I'll have a wife and I'll have kids. And after you have a wife and have kids, then what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to become renowned in my profession. I'm going to become well-respected. I'm going to have a beautiful home. I'm going to have a beautiful car, two or three of them. I'm going to have all the toys. Well, then what are you going to do? Well, then I'll retire, and I'll have full time to play. What are you going to do after you retire? I guess I'll die. What are you going to do after you die? What are you going to do after you die? Are you trying to get ahead in this life? Is that your goal? Well, what are you going to do after you get ahead? 
You don't have time to come and pray. You don't have time to be serious about following Jesus. You don't have time for the prayer closet. You don't have time to go and pray and talk with the one who loves your soul. You want to spend eternity with somebody you don't want to talk to? You don't have time to talk to them because you're so involved in life. You don't want to give to him what he's asked you to give. And you want to spend eternity with him? I don't think so. Tonight it's time at the National Prayer Chapel to reset our moral compass. And time to begin to recognize that our moral compass must be set on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that everything else falls by the side. And anything that distracts us from that must be cut off and left behind. Friendships, business strategies, ambitions. They're all going to pass away. After you have it all, then what? If not Jesus, then what? Almighty God. Mighty God. Reset my moral compass. Reset my moral compass. Lord, reset the moral compass of this church. Lord, make us righteous and make us happy. Let joy be explosive in this house because we no longer have divided hearts. We no longer have divided loyalties. Thank you, mighty king. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy.